Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, ArmorAll, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every $20 you spend on ArmorAll products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at ArmorAll.com. ArmorAll. Less work, more clean. Terms apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It's time to turn off the lights and turn on the dark. Chilling Tales for Dark Nights. Good evening, listener. You're listening to Chilling Tales for Dark Nights. On tonight's edition, we invite you to leave behind your safe reality and descend with us into the frightening depth of the most terrifying imaginations with two audio adaptations of frightening fiction about wicked weather and dying dreams. I'm your host, Steve Taylor, and tonight I'll be your guide as we traverse the dimly lit corridors of your darkest dreams. Joining us tonight to help bring to life the frightening fiction of Jackson Arthur and Timothy G. Huguenin, are voice talents Nick Goroff, Danielle Hewitt, Rissa Montanez, and Kyle Stroud. Now, get your ticket ready. Take your seat in our theater of the minds and brace yourself. It's time to turn off the lights and turn on the dark. 
Our first tale this evening is written by Jackson Arthur and is performed by Nick Goroff and Danielle Hewitt. In it, we meet someone battling an all-too-familiar problem for those of us in the North. Now, without further ado, I present to you Black Ice. I had been on the road for over five hours before I finally decided to pull over to take a piss. I was making good time, but I couldn't wait any longer. My bladder was full of monster, along with other sordid caffeinated beverages, and the bastard was screaming at me to release the pressure. At that point in my travels, I was in between major highways. And I wasn't sure when I would come across another gas station or bathroom of any kind. No big deal, I figured. Urinating on the side of the road would work. Nature would have to be my bathroom. Luckily, it was in the middle of the night and traffic had been non-existent for some time. I would have hated for a cop to come by and catch me dangling in the wind. I quickly swung my car into the first dirt pull-off I came across and slammed it into park. I left the motor running as I opened the door and jumped out from the vehicle. There wasn't much light in the middle of nowhere, and I would need my car's headlights to see. Ain't nothing more dangerous than pissing in the dark. You never know what might hit when you can't see shit. You might even hit yourself by accident. And I wasn't trying to smell like piss the rest of the way. I guess I could have changed into one of the other pairs of my jeans I had stuffed into my back of my car, if need be, but why take the unnecessary risk? A blast of icy air struck me as I got out of the car and immediately made my bladder scream even louder. No. It hadn't been screaming at that point. The bastard had been howling. Like a cold dog howling at the moon. Jogging to the other side of my car, I swiftly unzipped my jeans and ignored the full body shiver that hit me when I exposed myself to the cold night. The mixture of warm piss and cold air caused me to feel contradicting sensations in my nether regions. I closed my eyes and I let out a sigh of relief as my bladder began to empty. Once I was finished and tucked away, I didn't at once rush back to the warmth of my car. The chill wasn't bothering me as much as I decided to take a moment to enjoy the peaceful quiet of the night. I peered down from the top of a steep embankment and out over a dark valley. Filling the valley was thick forest that appeared to stretch on for a few miles. Where I stood, I couldn't see any lights. Not from houses or businesses or other possible forms of civilization. I was in no man's land. Or at least, I would have eventually been until I eventually met up with State Route 33. A four-lane highway that would take me the rest of the way. It also didn't seem to be a whole lot of movement or normal sounds 
come from the trees either, except for a low serenade from a far-off owl. Maybe, since an inch or two of snow covered everything, the forest animals had decided to chill out for the night. Except for that single owl, who just kept singing on and on. It had been snowing most of the day and into the night until finally stopping about a half hour before. Thankfully, it had been the light, fluffy stuff that doesn't stick well to the roads. If it had been that heavy, slushy shit, then it would have slowed me down and pissed me off. I always hated snow, but for some reason I've always lived in places that get a shit ton of it every winter. With everything around me being still and tranquil, it helped to temporarily calm my constantly racing mind, which had been a welcome change. I had done nothing but hurry, hurry, hurry for the prior few days, and it was nice to just stop for a minute to breathe. My marriage had fallen apart, to put it mildly. To put it honestly, my marriage had exploded like the fucking time bomb it had always been. Four years of building pressure, like piss in a bladder, until it finally went boom. I let her have whatever she wanted, because I just didn't care. There hadn't been much to fight over anyway. We didn't own a house or have kids, thank God. We had a tiny, ugly dog, but that had always been her baby, not mine. I hated that dog. In the end, I managed to walk away from the devastation with what I could fit in my car. And having your entire life fit into a blue Chevy Impala can put things into perspective. Let me tell you. When I was 18, like most naive assholes, I couldn't have run away from home fast enough. I had dreams to chase. Mistakes to make, and a crazy bitch to marry. But when the dust settled on my marriage, that was where I was headed back to home. My real home. And I couldn't get back to my parents and the town I grew up in fast enough. As I continued to peer into the distance, I could see the black outline of the Appalachian Mountains standing tall on the horizon, barely visible against the night sky. Black on black, as a way of blending together. With the mountains in my sights, I knew that my destination was only a few more hours away. A pair of headlights suddenly pulled me from my thoughts, two bright orbs coming down the stretch of road I was standing beside. They were headed in the direction I had been coming from. Damn. The vehicle's high beams momentarily blinded me, but I threw both of my hands up real quick. I was able to partially block out the bright light until it shifted away from my eyes and I could see again. When the headlights from my own car fell across its new arrival, I could tell that it was a car smaller than my Chevy. A compact. 
impossibly foreign. Dark blue. My Impala's headlights also fell on something else. A massive patch of ice on the road. The spot of ice was several yards long and wide enough to take up an entire lane of the road, while still having enough width to spill over into the other lane as well. Normally black ice didn't scare me. It wasn't the evil villain some people make it out to be. Yet, by how clearly the surface reflected the moon, which had finally found a space between the clouds from which to peek out, I could tell that the ice was thick and solid. There was nothing I could have done but hope that the approaching compact car had good tires and a calm driver. Maybe the driver would notice the ice and take the other lane to avoid it. That was what I would have done. There hadn't been any oncoming traffic, making that the smart choice. But the driver never saw the black eyes. Instead, the compact car took a dead center. From start to finish, everything that happened next only took a few seconds. The compact car began to slide as soon as it hit the ice. His back end started to spin out. Rather than make a slight adjustment in the steering, I helplessly watched the driver panic. As the driver slammed on the brakes and pulled hard on the wheel, squealing tires replaced the once tranquil silence. The little car spun and spun fast. It spun out onto the other lane and cleared the ice. At that point, the driver should have hit the brakes, but the driver was still panicked. I could hear the car's engine rev as the driver stomped hard on the gas. The car's wheels chose then to gain traction, which sent the car barreling across the road and over the edge of the embankment. At the sight of the car spilling over the edge, I instantly dashed toward the other side pull off. Standing and looking down off the ledge, I could see the glow of two headlights rushing down the steep drop. Somehow the car managed to almost make it down the entire decline without hitting one of the trees growing from the side of the hill. I don't want to call it luck that the car didn't hit a tree earlier in the fall because it might have been better off striking one of the trees growing closer to the top. By the time it hit one near the, to the ground, Gravity had been pulling hard on that car. Not even the snow did much to slow it down once gravity had its hands on it. I can't say exactly how fast the car was going when it finally hit, but when it did hit that tree, the sound of the impact, the twisting of metal and the breaking of glass shattered both the night and my mind into a million fragments. I don't want to be a drama queen, but it all sank into me deeply, all the way to my core. Whenever I try and sleep at night, I can still hear the destruction of that car getting wrapped around that tree. My phone! That was my first clear thought. I needed to call for help. If the driver was still alive. I needed to get someone there to help him. If the driver wasn't, someone still needed to be there to deal with it. 
After realizing that I left my cell in the Chevy, I turned to run back and get it, but something stopped me from moving. A woman screaming. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Help me, please. Somebody, please help me. The screams were obviously coming from down the embankment. From the wrecked car. I tried to find a strong voice and yell back. I couldn't get as loud as I wanted to, but but I did my best. Anyway. It's gonna be okay. Just hang tight. I'm gonna call for help. The woman's voice became shrill and terror-stricken. Oh my god. Oh my god. Help me. Before I realized what I was doing, I was making my way down the hill. The moon had retreated back behind the dense clouds, throwing a thick shadow over everything. As I rushed through the dense night, I aimed myself away from the lights of my Impala and toward the headlights of the wreckage. I clearly remember having images of burning cars and burning people flashing through my head. I didn't see any flames, but there might be smoke. It would have been difficult to see dark smoke when everything else was just as dark. I had to act. I had to do something. I had to make sure that woman was not going to fucking burn to death while I sat on the phone with 911 waiting for help to eventually show up. If that happened, I would have never forgiven myself. The Nikes that I've been wearing were a far cry from hiking boots. They were not meant for descending a steep, slick hill. Several times, the snow tried to bring me down, take both my feet from under me, but each time I somehow managed to grab onto a nearby tree trunk or bush and stay upright. I was moving as fast as I could, but I didn't know if it was fast enough to matter. The woman had grown silent after the last 
nearly hysterical howl. I began to fear what I might find. Keeping the headlights in front of me, I was able to find the wreckage in the blackness of night. And it was as bad as I had thought. The entire front of that compact car had been caved in, crushed into the shape of a large, jagged horseshoe. I don't understand how the headlights were still shining. There was a little bit of smoke rising from the car, but it wasn't black smoke from active burning. It was light and faint, probably from the car's small engine being obliterated. And I didn't smell any flames either. Yet suddenly, fire became the least of my concerns. The way the car brutally imploded against that damn tree immediately painted a different picture in my mind. At least, my rushing thoughts were no longer burning women, but images of death still filled my brain. The driver had been alive and screaming for me, but that didn't mean she was still breathing. Part of me didn't want to go around to the driver's side of the car, but I needed to be sure. Ma'am? I called out as I rushed around the back of the vehicle. No answer. Are you okay, ma'am? Silence. When I made it to the other side of the car, I saw that the driver's window had been shattered, completely destroyed. I briefly stopped. The inside of the car was dark and hard to see into, just like everything else that fucked up night. As I fought against my rapid breathing, I reluctantly leaned in closer so that I could get a better look through the non-existent window. Someone was sitting in the driver's seat. Ma'am? Are you okay, ma'am? It was a petite young woman. Light brown hair pulled into a tight ponytail. Mid-twenties, perhaps. But she never moved or replied. She couldn't. She just stared at me. Her neck twisted at an awkward angle. Wide-eyed. Forever afraid of what was about to happen to her. She hadn't been wearing her seatbelt and the airbag malfunctioned. When her face hit the steering wheel, the force nearly spun her head clean around. Dead on impact. Before the accident, the young woman might have been kind of pretty. In a simple kind of way. That was when I smelled the cloud of alcohol escaping through the car window. I didn't search to find the source. I already knew what it was. I then remember my heart sinking as a realization hit me. If she had been dead on impact, then who the hell had been screaming at me? A passenger? I looked around the inside of the car. Or what was left of it. But I didn't see anyone else. The passenger side was empty, and the door was still closed. The back seat was empty, too. The head on the back of my neck stood up when I then heard the same woman's voice. Help! It came from behind me, from somewhere in the trees. Somebody help me! Who are you? Get away from me! Don't touch me! 
I could feel the fear in her voice. I could feel it as if it were my own. Get away from me! Someone else had been in the car. That had been my immediate assumption. With the trees creating a million little echoes, it was hard to pinpoint from exactly which direction the voice was coming. When I thought that I knew the general area I needed to go toward, I took off running. For several more seconds, the woman continued to cry for help, but ultimately the words died and all that remained were frightened screams. I yelled back once. I wanted her to know that I was coming. Don't be scared! I'm here! I used her voice to guide me, because other than that, I was running blind. But I found her. Somehow. She must have heard me because when I got there, she at once turned her head my way. She was a petite woman, somewhere in her mid-twenties, light brown hair, pulled in a tight ponytail. Kind of pretty, in a simple way. Her eyes wide with fear. I knew that face. I'd seen it only moments before. It was the driver. But how? Twins? No. I can't explain it. But I knew that I was looking into the face of the same dead woman. She was on her butt in the snow with her back against a tree trunk. The way she was pressed up against the base of the tree it was like she was fending off a wild animal. But I didn't see any wolves or bears or coyotes. As I looked down on her, the words rose to my throat before I realized I was speaking. I'm here to help. Don't be scared. But I felt the words to be hollow. There was no help for her. She may have been scared, but so was I. There was no changing it. Who are they? Why are they after me? Who's after you? I searched the area, but I couldn't see anyone else but the two of us. I don't know what you mean. She then raised her arm and pointed to a spot a couple feet from where she sat. Them! Don't you see them? At first, I didn't. I couldn't. But when I opened my mouth to assure that there was no one there, the moon peeked from the clouds again, casting beams of light down on us. The light revealed something that I had not noticed a second before. Two figures standing in the exact spot the woman was pointing. They were human-like in form, short, closer to the height of a child than an adult, and they were pure black from head to toe. No faces or features of any kind. Just darkness, as deep as I imagine a black hole would be. A bottomless void. But they were also smooth-looking, polished. I could only see them with the help of the moon because the moonlight reflected across the two figures in the same way it had the patch of black eyes. There had been a stillness about them, or at least there was until the moon showed them to me. 
When it was obvious that I could now see them too, the two black figures rushed at the woman. It was so easy for them to grab her, to snatch her by the legs. There was nothing that she or I could do to stop it. I don't know why they waited that long to take her. Maybe they had been playing with her until I showed up. I'm not sure. I'll never be sure. Once the two figures had a hold of her legs, they began to drag her away. She screamed and desperately tried to grab a hold of the tree trunk, but there was no chance of her holding on. They drug her off through the snow and into the woods. I could still picture her face as they drug her away. The terror, the helplessness, it seared into my brain. She'd look to me for help, but I couldn't do anything. I'd been useless. Or could I have actually helped her somehow? Could I have kept those things from grabbing her? No. There's nothing I could have done. For a second after the woman was pulled off, I was frozen by my fear. I did my best to shake it off and chase after them, but they were already out of sight. Even though I'd watched her get dragged off through the snow, there was no physical path of any kind for me to follow. No trail of disturbed snow. It was fucking weird. So instead, I tried to follow the only thing I had. The woman's horrific screaming. But even that became further and further away until finally fading away completely swallowed by the night. I don't know why I started yelling. I didn't know what else to do. Can you hear me? Keep screaming so I can find you. I'm not sure how long I stood there, cold and shaking, but I continued to listen for her any signs of her, but there was nothing. I don't know where the two figures took her, but they were long gone. At some point, I was able to gather my thoughts and navigate my way back to the wreckage by following the glow of the headlights. From there, I made my way back to my own car, again by following the glow of headlights. Getting back up the embankment was much slower and way more difficult than going down it, but I managed. I found my cell in my Chevy when I knew it had been plugged in and charging. Before I dialed 911, I took a couple of minutes to mentally rehearse what I was going to say. I couldn't completely lie, but I wasn't going to tell them everything. I would have sounded fucking crazy. When the emergency operator answered my call, I told him that a car had wrecked on black ice and hit a tree. I had gone down the embankment trying to help. My tracks in the snow would have told him that, whether I wanted to or not. But when I got to the crash, the driver was already dead, killed on impact. I went back to my car, got my cell phone, and called them. End of story. At least as far as they knew. 
but I couldn't help but wonder what those creatures were and whether or not they would come for me when it was my time. I hope you enjoyed Black Ice, as written by Jackson Arthur and performed by Nick Goroff and Danielle Hewitt. You can find more of Danielle Hewitt over on the Creepy Podcast at www.creepypod.com. Our second tale of the evening is written by Timothy G. Huguenin and is performed by Nick Goroff Rissa Montanez and Kyle Stroud. In it, we'll meet Silas and Emma, a couple blessed enough to be in the 52nd year of their relationship. Now, without further ado, I present to you The Yellow Carousel. It was a warm September evening in High Point, West Virginia, when Silas first saw the Yellow Carousel. A retired surface miner, he and his wife Emma lived near the top of this ridge for most of their 52 years together. The land behind their modest home sloped gradually into a flat, wide depression before rising again to its piney crown. Silas and Emma had made it their custom to sit on the back deck and watch the sun go down behind the pines as many nights as the weather was comfortable. Emma had turned in early that night, complaining of a headache, so Silas considered the fading twilight and solitude. Venus opened her diamond eye on him, then gathered her star children to come watch the field with her and the man below. Katie did chanted as a chorus of other insects added their harmonies to a summer's evening song. A barred owl questioned him from the edge of the pines. Silas's tea was nearly empty and his bladder full. He walked down the steps and leaned his shoulder against the railing. He peed in the grass, craning his neck back to study the Milky Way. It shimmered, perhaps movement of heat overhead. The air changed, suddenly very dry and charged with static. Silas shook off the remaining drops and stowed himself back in his sweatpants. Time to go. He swung his gaze once more across the hill. His eyes halted on a large shadow hunched in the depression. A nebulous black figure, larger than any animal, smaller than a house. Even in its vagueness, its silhouette was familiar to Silas. He peered into the night, his eyes hungry for light, must be playing tricks. A chimera of his imagination, desperate to make sense of these shadows. Yet his eyes were well adjusted, and though the moon was not full, he could see silver grass waving in the cool breeze sweeping the ridge. Emma, he said, half choking on the name. He repeated it again, louder. She did not respond. Even if she could have heard from inside, she was probably asleep. 
he hiked up his pants and walked down the hill towards this apparition. Though it was a gentle descent, his breathing grew heavy. A high-pitched, ear-splitting buzz stopped Silas for a moment. He chuckled when he realized it was only a conehead katydid calling for a mate. Probably hanging on to that sassafras sapling a few feet ahead. He carried on. As he passed the sassafras, his ears confirmed the plant as the location of the sound, but he was no longer troubled by this. The thing's outline was solidifying. He saw now. Again, how could he believe it? He must be mistaken. It was a carousel. His pace quickened, despite a creeping feeling that the thing watched him from where it crouched in the field. Yes. Yet it was certainly a carousel. A big one. And as if its impossible appearance wasn't enough to make Silas wonder, another breeze, seeming to emanate from the object itself, brought to him aromas that sparked the memories and emotions of fairs he had been to long ago. Kettle corn, cotton candy, fried dough. A childlike giddiness overtook his fear and disbelief. He ran to it. It lit up, beautiful and welcoming, shutting out the rest of the surrounding field. Graceful, playful curves adorned its crown. Wide, pointed petals painted sunflower yellow radiated from its base. Instead of horses, all its animals were deer, varying in shades of brown, skewered by gilded poles. A tear slipped down Silas's cheek as he breathed heavily in its nostalgic atmosphere. He felt that if he could look in a mirror, he would see an eight-year-old boy whom he hadn't known in too many years. But there were no mirrors in the center, only a blank, black wall. He was sure now that this was a dream. Afraid this knowledge might soon bring awakening, he hurried to its edge. He gently knocked on a petal, carved in painted wood, not fiberglass, solid. They were chest high, so that instead of stepping up, he was forced to climb, awkwardly leaning his torso over the edge, grabbing the nearest pole and swinging his legs up. He rolled onto his back and caught his breath. A dream in which he felt like a child, yet the fullness of his age all at once. Strange. But if he wanted to ride this thing before he awoke, he knew that he must not waste time. Grasping the heel of a nearby doe, he pulled himself up and mounted it. There was a sound of gears meeting as the ride began to turn. The deer rose and fell, rose and fell. The carousel revolved. Silas was known by his wife and friends as a somber man, but he could not repress the grin that stretched his lips, nor did he want to. He gripped the gold leaf pole with his right hand and rubbed his left palm against the wooden doe's muzzle, patted its neck. Good girl, he murmured. Good girl. He rode for hours, 
all the while wondering how long this would last until he would open his eyes, still sitting on the deck beneath the stars, his tea spilled next to his foot. The carousel stopped turning at last. He dismounted the deer and sat on the base, his legs resting on the flower petals. He held a trembling hand in front of his face. He must be dreaming, but this felt all too real. Confused, scared and delighted, he scooted off, dropping the remaining few feet to dewy grass. The carousel's lights shut off, leaving him to walk up the field in the dark. Coyotes yipped and howled. The sound chilled him. Emma snored softly, her bedside lamp still on. Silas stood at her feet and watched her, still trying to understand what had happened. He was no longer sure if it had been a dream. He would have awakened by now. Was there something wrong with him? He slid open the door to the small balcony above the deck and walked out. If there was anything out there, the lamp had ruined his chances of seeing it. But on his way up the hill, while the coyotes were singing, he had turned back, like Lot's wife, for one last look. A pillar of salt he had not become, and there was nothing left in the depression but a bobcat slinking across the field. He returned to the room, shutting only the screen so that the fresh air could circulate. Emma opened her eyes and smiled. Hmm. Hi, honey. Did you have a nice see it? She glanced at her clock. Wow, it's late. You've been out all this time? Yeah. Oh, fell asleep in your chair. He looked away and nodded. Something like that. You, uh, you feeling better? Yeah. Sleepy, though. She rolled to her side, tucked her hands beneath her pillow. You're coming to bed now, right? Uh-huh. He stripped off his clothes and sat on the mattress. Emma. She grunted. Nearly asleep already, Silas wondered how she did that. Just turned off at will. It took him at least twenty minutes to drift away. Don't forget the light, honey. Huh? Oh, okay. She fumbled around for the switch for a couple seconds, half awake. Soon, all was dark. Mmm. Hmm. You smell like cotton candy. Emma muttered. Rain kept them indoors for the next few days. Silas had started a new Zane Grey novel, but thoughts of the yellow carousel distracted him. In three days, he had only made it through a few pages. And even then, he wasn't sure what was going on in the story. He knew he should talk to Emma about what he had seen, but he was too afraid. Not that she would think him crazy. Maybe I am. An unreasonable weight of guilt hung onto him, as if something that gave so much pleasure must be inherently dirty. So he kept his secret from her. He wasn't used to hiding anything from his wife, and as much shame as it brought him, it also thrilled him. 
The gray blanket finally moved on. A cool, clean sky made him overwhelmingly impatient for twilight. At last, the sun grew heavy. He brewed some tea and settled into his chair on the deck. Emma looked at him with amusement as she sat next to him, but he hardly noticed. His gaze scoured the landscape for some sign of the carousel's coming. What if it was a one-off thing, he thought. What if it don't come back? Maybe it wouldn't be so bad if it didn't return, or if it had never appeared at all. He could live the rest of his life marveling over that night, free from this continued compulsion to hide it from his wife. What's wrong, Silas? You seem so... I don't know... uptight. Nothing, he said, grateful for the low, rose-colored sunlight that hid his burning red ears. Just watching the deer. Looking for a buck. Oh, you're thinking about hunting again this fall? Maybe. He lied. He hadn't been hunting in five or six years. Though he missed the thrill of a successful kill, it no longer made up for the trouble. His knees hurt too bad to drag anything worth shooting, and he was more sensitive to the cold. What really sealed his decision was discovering on his last couple hunts that he was no longer able to field-dress a deer without vomiting. He felt immensely ashamed with this failure of his weakened gut. Well, that's great, Emma said. You really should. You've been in such a slump. Get out there and get moving. Get the blood flowing. Silas's guilt deepened. He did not want to disappoint his wife. He almost came clean right then, but something kept his mouth clamped shut. She put her hand on his wrist, then slid it into his palm. Her fingers gently sought to interlace with his. He accepted them, despite his feeling that this sealed a promise he couldn't keep. I've been worried about you. Emma's voice was hoarse and tentative. Why don't you talk to me? Like you used to. We talk, don't we? I mean, about... I don't know. Now you got me worried. She shook her head and watched the shadows creep. He didn't press her to explain. He would rather not talk. Not tonight. When she excused herself, he didn't want her leave. He was too afraid of what he would see in her eyes, and that it would change his mind, that he would follow her inside and miss what might come. And just after the stars appeared, when he had almost given up, it came. He laughed as he ran to it, ignoring the undercurrent of dread that seemed to grow with his excitement. What does it mean? His whispers shook with each knee-jarring stride. How can it be? He pressed his palms with wary joy against the smooth sunflower petals. Its lights switched on blacking out the surrounding field and his house up the hill. He climbed on. The deer's eyes seemed to follow him as he chose one to ride. 
He inspected the head of a darker doe. Painted deep chestnut, the details of its face were skillfully hand-carved from wood. Yet its painted eyes met his gaze with awareness. A wordless breath of amusement left his mouth. In return, the doe blasted warm air into his face, though he could not see how respiration was possible without an open orifice. He resisted an urge to plug his fingers into its eyes and nostrils. Contrary to its outward appearance, the thing was living, and he didn't want to hurt or anger it. It warmed with pleasure as he mounted it. The other deer eyed them jealously, though not with malice, as each knew that the next night would bring a new chance to be ridden. The carousel's gears clattered, and the ride began to turn. No music played to conceal its noise, he noticed. Now that he thought of it, there hadn't been music on his previous ride either. For a minute or so, the sound of its inner contraption filled him with ominous loathing. Coyotes joined in chorus as if to make up for the ride's lack of song. Silas hugged his doe's neck with one arm and gripped its golden pole tight with the other. Its gentle undulation soon lulled him, and they rode in increasing joy until all his dread and misgivings were forgotten. He didn't even wonder at the meaning of all this. He only smiled through tears. The surrounding field obscured he could not mark a full revolution, which made it feel like one continuous, everlasting turn. And why couldn't it be? Why should it end? Somewhere else, Emma turned in her sleep, muttering of cotton candy and kettle corn. She cried out for her husband, but he was not there. Fair weather continued, though the nights became cool. Silas kept returning to the carousel. Emma often awoke in the night, breathless, reaching for him. The true meaning of his empty pillow never occurred to her. She feared that some kind of sickness kept him from sleeping. She pictured him at the table, brooding over lukewarm tea. She considered venturing downstairs to retrieve him, but her knees and back ached and Silas would come to bed when he wanted. Another quiet evening sat between them. Silas's pulse quickened as dusk approached. He smiled when Emma at last left her chair. But instead of going inside, she said, How about a walk? Silas hoped that his expression would be taken for surprise and not disappointment. It's almost dark. I know. Won't it be fun? Just you and me and the stars. It'll be like, just like when we were young. My knees, though. Oh, ain't no worse than mine. So it won't be a long walk. That's fine. I just want to get a bit of blood flowing through these old joints for a change. He couldn't disappoint her. They stepped off the deck, and she turned to the field. Why don't we take the road? He said. I want to see the sky. Hear the rustle of deer sneaking through the woods. Feel the ferns on my legs. 
Her eyes moistened as she spoke. I want to remember why we settled way up here, on this mountain. Away from the neighborhood church bells and laughing kids just riding their bikes past. Kids don't ride bikes anymore. They got their uh, iPhones and shit. But he could see she wouldn't change her mind. So he walked with her along the field's edge, hoping desperately that the yellow carousel would know well enough to wait. They neared the depression, which remained empty. A strong wind chilled him. Emma did not seem to notice. She took a deep breath. <sighs> yeah. I know better than to press you till you're ready to talk. She said. But I just wanted you to know that I love you. And I hate seeing you this way. It ain't that. I just... I told you. You don't gotta tell me till you're ready. But you don't gotta suffer alone. That's all. Thanks. I love you too. She smiled with her mouth only, not her eyes, then took his hand. They reached the edge of their property and stepped over the low bent section of rusty barbed wire. Silas glanced over his shoulder at the open spot where the yellow countersail might be. Still absent. He was both relieved and sad, wondering if she had somehow ruined his chances of seeing it again. Emma produced a tiny flashlight from her knit sweater and pointed it into the woods. It gets steep, uh, Silas said. My knees. We'll just cut the corner. We'll come out to that bend in the road, and we'll stay on the ridge. It's dark. She waved her flashlight with a smile. It occurred to Silas that she had planned this little jaunt all along. He tightened his jaw. Did she know about the carousel? Had she seen it one of these nights, when the coyotes howled and the gears clattered without music and time disappeared? But that made no sense. If this walk had something to do with the yellow carousel, why the trek through the woods? He searched her eyes and saw sadness, but also a spark of mischief and adventure that took him back to when they had first met. But those memories were interrupted by the scent of kettle corn wafting in from behind. He looked over his shoulder again. The clearing lay tranquil and empty, but the air was thick with its waiting. He knew now that the yellow carousel was not gone forever, nor would it betray their secret to Emma until he was ready to come clean. He smiled and held his wife's hand. Okay, he said. Let's go. Their walk had tired Emma more than she had expected. And though she had tried to give him the time and space to open up, Silas still had not confided in her. But he did seem less tense as they reached home, his smile no longer forced. Are you coming to bed now, dear? She said, hoping that he would follow her for once instead of wallowing in the kitchen with his tea. Sure, honey. But you, you got me all uh, sweaty. 
I'll be up right after my shower. She waited in bed with her bedside lamp on. Her knees were hot and achy, and her thighs hurt in a good way. The lamp faded off and on. She checked the cord, then laughed softly at herself when she realized that it was her heavy eyelids that were flickering. The shower started to run. Silas had not lied about that. And why would he? She would have liked to clean up a little too, if she wasn't so sleepy. The sound of spraying water put her at ease. She fell asleep. High, whiny yelps nearby. Babies howling in the nursery. But Emma had only dreamed of kids, Silas having discovered he was sterile after they married. Adoption had seemed an insincere option to her, something she would only have done as a last resort. Back then, she had not wanted to become a mother to any child who would know that Emma was only settling. Having grown older and wiser, too old for parenting and wisdom wasted, she now realized her excuse had been a cop-out born from bitterness and self-pity. The crying, which had sounded so human and infantile as she approached wakefulness, came from coyotes, all joining in one another's lonesome meows from holler to holler. Except they sounded so near, all together. As if they knew she was listening, they fell silent as abruptly as they had started. Emma reached across the bed to a cold absence. Silas must have awakened some time in the night and gone downstairs, if he had ever come to bed at all. Had the shower been a deception? Or had the heaviness of spirit slugged him as he washed so that he abandoned hope of rest? The coyotes made her anxious. Sleep would come no easier for her now than it would for her husband. Wincing, she rose from bed, put on her robe and slippers, and crept down the stairs. All was dark and deserted. Her loneliness became a thing to her, an intruder in the house. She clutched her robe tight around her neck, not because of the chill so much as she felt exposed to this lack of company. She could feel it leering at her, grinning with lust to consume her, still hungry even though she knew it was eating her husband from the inside out, and she didn't know how to stop it, didn't know how to save either of them. Now the chill came, hitting her back as she gazed at her black shadow cast long on the carpet by the moon. She turned to find the sliding glass door open. She called to her husband, but no answer came. Loneliness's hot breath warmed her neck. She could see the chairs on the deck, both empty. But he might be in the yard, obscured by the bushes. She went outside. An initial survey of the immediate yard did not reveal Silas in the daybright moonlight. Then, the blood-curdling yips started again from down in the lower field. 
The wild canines sat in a circle, muzzles open skyward, shrieking their praises or laments around several larger animals. Deer, judging by their shape and size, though it was hard to see clearly into the liquid shadows lapping in the depression. Knowledge came to her, from some sense other than sight, that Silas was down there, with the deer and the dogs. She ran, crying his name. The deer scattered early. The coyotes glared at her with lowered heads, backing away sulkily, and they did not flee fully until she fell to her knees in the grass next to him. Lying, naked, on his side, arms wrapped around his knees, Silas's whole body shook. His cheekbones shone with tears. Oh, 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 honey. Oh, God. Oh, honey. <laughs> she covered him with herself, prayed over him with her heart's intention since she didn't have the words for it. After an immeasurable moment, he gasped coughed on mucus, then, hoarsely, he spoke her name. Emma. Emma. Did you, did you see it? She squeezed him tighter. Oh, Silas! Oh, God! Can you stand? She pulled him to a sitting position. He stared at her wildly, reminding her of the coyotes. She felt their eyes on her neck, watching her from the woods. Did you, did you see the yellow carousel? Honey, we need to get you to a hospital. Can you stand? Without waiting for an answer, she threw his arms around her shoulder and lifted. He did not resist. Her chest constricted as his frenzied whispers fell on her ear. It had not appeared again since that night Emma found Silas outside. He believed the carousel no longer felt safe. He must have known that Emma was watching him more closely now, especially at night, never leaving his side no matter how long he waited on the deck. The alternative explanation for its abandoning him was that his new medications somehow kept it away. He didn't like this theory, because it implied that all they were saying about him was true. Even if some of it was true, he knew that the yellow carousel couldn't exist only within his mind. But if it was wary of his wife, perhaps it was also wary of the meds. It could be real, and also know the pills he was taking treat him differently for it, as everyone did. You can talk to me too, you know. Emma said as Silas read the paper with his coffee. I talk. Don't I? Well, I mean, what is it that you discuss with your doctor every week? Then again, he tried to hide the annoyance creeping onto his face, knowing she cared and not wanting to insult her for her concern. We don't talk about much at all, he said. 
And that was the truth, really. All right. Oh, watch out. Here comes breakfast. He slid his coffee away and lowered his paper to make room for the plate of toast and bacon. Only two slices anymore. Damn blood pressure. Damn getting old. A splinter of pain shot into his gums as he bit on it. He spit and swore. What the? He stopped. His tongue instinctively poking the sore, empty spot where a molar used to be. He searched his plate for the tooth, wondering how a piece of chewy bacon would have dislodged it so easily. He saw among the saliva and chewed meat was a wet sunflower seed. You all right, Silas? What is it? The sunflower seed had traces of blood on one end. He reached his finger slowly into his mouth, fingering the absence, checking the rest of his teeth. They all seemed strong enough. And normal. Nothing, uh, just too hot. Oh, be, be careful, honey. Here, drink some water. Emma made sure to watch Silas take his pills, but it wasn't hard to figure out that he had started hiding them under his tongue, and then going to the bathroom to spit into the toilet. They didn't even flush down all the time. Sometimes she would find the evidence floating there when she would go in later to relieve herself. She didn't think he had been doing this for more than a week or two. She didn't know how to talk to him about it, and he hadn't seemed so different, so maybe it wasn't a big deal. She had always believed that doctors leaned on their prescription pads a little too much. Perhaps all they needed was some time. He had stopped sitting outside and staring so wistfully at the field now that the nights had become too chilly to sit through the sunset. Maybe the therapy was enough. She stroked his hair as he slept. Rest easy, darling, she whispered. She would talk to him, or maybe call his therapist, get some advice about the best way to do it. As long as the therapist didn't bring it up in his sessions without giving her a chance to do it herself, then Silas would know that she had gone behind his back. Tomorrow, she said to herself. Tomorrow, I'll call. What was that? He grasped her hand. I was sleeping. Nothing. I just need to remember to call the credit card company tomorrow. I noticed a strange charge on the statement. It's nothing. Go back to sleep. Uh-huh. That's nice. Y you know something? She squeezed his hand in return, waiting for him, wondering if tonight he would finally open up. I know that I complain about visiting the dock, but I think it's helped. I think I am getting better. Oh, Silas, I love you so much. I love you too. You're the best in the world. It was back. 
Silas knew this immediately upon opening his eyes. The air in the bedroom seemed to vibrate silently, thick and warm. Through the window, the moon painted a silver rectangle across his and Emma's bare legs. They had both kicked the duvet off in their sleep. Silas touched Emma's forehead and found it clammy. He wondered for a moment if the thermostat had broken, but he quickly understood that this had nothing to do with an overactive baseboard heater. This was all part of it. He fought himself to rise slowly and quietly, fought his skyrocketing elation, lest it all be a mistake and the disappointment devastate him. The bedroom door's latch stuck and then released loudly. A small cadre of coyotes barked. Silas froze. Emma stirred, breathlessly squeaked something about someone's babies and their father endangered. Darling, Silas said. He needs your prayers, my babies. She returned. I will talk to him. I won't wait another day. So she had not awakened. He told himself this would be a quick visit. She would not notice he was gone. It was a bit of a risk, he knew, but he could not miss this chance. One more ride. His mouth tasted rotten from sleep and his gums ached. As he passed the bathroom, he decided against brushing them. Too risky. Emma might hear the water running. The door slid open freely without noise. Silas's shallow breathing puffed tiny clouds into the humid moonshine as he stepped out onto the deck. Sweat dotted the back of his neck. It felt like midsummer, not autumn. His breath halted. His pulse surged, fingertips throbbing. A soft moan sounded from high in his throat. True, he whispered. A nearby great horned owl echoed in agreement. True, true, they said together. His joy was so intense that another man might have mistaken it for terror. He leapt from the deck and ran, arms outstretched, heart straining. Down in the lower field, the great flower awaited him. Tonight, her children pled. You must talk to him tonight. I will call the doctor. First thing in the morning. Oh, my sweet babies. I will call the doctor. And then, I will know what to do. No, mommy. Her children began to bawl. No, please. Their wails grow in pitch and volume until their feral sounds, no longer the anguished screams of young children. Emma hugs her own sweaty arms as her children fade from her. She sits up in the bedroom's stuffy emptiness. She knows without looking that Silas is not at her side. Dear God, not again, 
She does not even bother to throw on her robe or slippers. Too hot for all that, anyway. Maybe it's all a dream. A nightmare recounting that one bad night. This ain't that night. It's a dream. There is something different than last time. Something new. A draft meets her on the stairway, fragrant with cotton candy, popcorn, burning oil. A clockwork cog grind drills through her ears. She runs through the open door, down the deck steps, then stops in the grass, unbelieving. Spinning, spinning, grinding, surrounded by the dogs. Yellow petals bright in a spotlight that comes from nowhere. Deer bounding on glided poles. There goes Silas, appearing and disappearing with each revolution. How can this be? A dream. <laughs> yes, it must be. Oh, let it be. She screams something, probably his name. Then she runs. The carousel slows. Silas dismounts one of the deer and steps down from the ride. The coyotes just outside the lighted area remain quiet. She's close now. Close enough that Silas should be able to hear her screaming. But he doesn't acknowledge her. A divot in the field trips her and she rolls several feet in the high grass. It becomes suddenly dark. And the clattering gears stop. For a moment she thinks she's blacked out. But as she lies there, she realizes that the carousel's mysterious light has extinguished itself confusing her night vision. She pushes to her knees, sticky with sweat, itching from her tumble in the grass. As her eyes readjust to the moonlight, she sees that the yellow carousel is gone. Silas stands now amidst a group of deer, as if the wooden ones dislodged themselves from their poles and walked off the contraption with him before it vanished. The coyotes lean back and cry to the stars. The miserable cacophony sends a shiver through Emma. She springs to her feet and rushes for him. The coyotes pay no attention to her as she infiltrates their circle. The deer don't scatter either. Silas's glassy stare registers surprise but not recognition. She stops a few feet from him. You shouldn't be here. He says, his voice wavering unnaturally. Silas, it's me. She shouts over the shrill canine din. It's me, darling. She's afraid to come closer to him, not sure what he might do in this trance-like state. The deer shifts slowly around them, surprisingly calm. A bulky twelve-point buck settles just behind Silas stomps and glowers at her. Please, come home, she says, her eyes brim with tears. I don't know what's happening, but you have to come home. He blinks slowly, then he shakes his head, 
Long, hairy fingers wrap around her arms from behind. She screams and struggles. Whatever has grabbed her is too strong for her to break from its grip. Hot, rank breath on the nape of her neck petrifies her so that she can't turn to see its face. Help me! Help me, Silas! Silas, help me! Don't fight. The buck behind Silas stomps again, then lifts itself fluidly onto its hind legs, more like a man standing than a horse rearing. As its spine straightens, its front hooves become long, spindly hands that stretch down past its knees. The rest of the deer, all female, transform in a similar fashion. Emma no longer needs to guess at her captor's appearance. The coyotes stop suddenly. Emma whimpers in the humid night's pregnant stillness. In her mind, she pleads with herself to wake up from this inconceivable nightmare. With her eyes, she pleads with her husband to save her. The immense bipedal buck monster steps closer to Silas, who looks up at it with adoration and expectancy. The creature snorts. Silas nods before turning briefly to his wife. His lips turn slightly upward as he says, My seed. As if that should make her understand. No! No! She says. Please! No! The buck grunts, impatient. Silas opens his mouth wide. The moon hits his face just right so that Emma can see that something is wrong with his teeth. They're all too narrow, sharply pointed. What's happening? What have you done to my darling? The creature holding her squeezes and jerks so that her own teeth click shut. She moans in fear and agony. Incredibly, Silas's mouth continues to open. His head tilts back so that his eyes point up at the stars, while his chin remains low, 90 degrees. Emma thinks first that he has somehow dislocated his jaw, but then his forehead continues further back, the angle between them widening impossibly. As his face unfolds like a paper fan, the pointed things she thought were teeth multiply, filling his mouth's open void. Her stomach heaves its contents, spewing over her chest and seeping into her bra. She wishes desperately to wake up or to pass out, but for some reason she cannot close her eyes. The one holding her shoves her forward so that she sees her husband's open face closely, now more resembling a ripe sunflower than a human head. They are not teeth, they are seeds. The buck snorts again, and she is jerked backwards, giving room for the antlered leader to continue this nightmarish ritual. A doe presents a large tool. The buck claims it with freakish hands and raises it well above its antlers as the doe bows out of center. The tool appears to be a massive pair of gardening shears. They gleam like silver in the sky but Emma knows they are gold. 
The buck lowers the shears and stomps twice. All step back. The does began to bleat, and the coyotes start another round of frenzied caterwauling. The buck's long-fingered hands open the shears and raise them to the flower's neck for harvest. Emma's screams are lost in the rest of it. At the field's edge, a barred owl voices his own confusion. Deeper in the forest, a bobcat growls, then defecates. Overhead, stars watch without judgment or interference, as per their aeonic station and privilege. As the yellow carousel spins, so turns the world. I hope you enjoyed The Yellow Carousel, as written by Timothy G. Huguenin and performed by Nick Goroff, Rissa Montañez, and Kyle Stroud. Timothy G. Huguenin is a hillbilly writer of the strange and spooky, living in the dark Allegheny Mountains of West Virginia. His short fiction has appeared in various publications, including Vestarian, Cosmic Horror Monthly, and the Saturday Evening Post. Find out more and get a free ebook at mountainhorror.com. You can also find more of Rissa Montañez over on the Creepy Podcast at www.creepypod.com. On to the shows. Longtime resident Otis Jiry has his very own show here on our network, Scary Stories Told in the Dark, which you can hear every Sunday night. We also have Eric Peabody's Horror Hill, a podcast dedicated to some of our deeper and darker tales. We hope you check him out. And Drew Blood's Dark Tales airs Fridays, featuring some southern down-home horror. And don't forget to check out the Fear from the Heartland archives, featuring more than 120 episodes. Well, friends, our weekly descent into the depths has just about come to a close. But before we go, I'd like to take a moment to thank you for joining us for tonight and remind you to take a moment to stop by our iTunes page and leave Chilling Tales for Dark Nights a five-star review and a kind word. And follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram if you haven't already. And of course, subscribe to us on YouTube, where you can find an archive of our work going back to 2012. And consider signing up as a patron at our website, ChillingTalesForDarkNights.com, to show your support and get all of our content ad-free. I'm your host of the evening, Steve Taylor, and it's been a pleasure. Tune in again next week when we once again turn off the lights and turn on the dark. See you next Monday. Sweet dreams, listener. Sweet dreams. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. 
It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com.